Hi, everyone. This is Catherine Adams and Elizabeth Wallace, and you're listening to Binary System Podcast number 379. And tonight, we're recapping Welcome to Night Vale number 234, The Boy. And then we're going to recap the sixth episode, I believe, yeah, of uh, fifth, the actually, because uh, six is the final one. Oh, God. That's me keeping track. Great. <laughs> so this should be a fairly quick Night Vale recap. For one, it was a shorter episode. It was just barely 23 minutes, which is on the shorter side for them. But basically, they found a boy playing around in Grove Park, and nobody knows who he is. And the boy doesn't know who he is either. And the boy also doesn't really care. He's just playing, pretending to be an airplane, pretending to be a motorboat, not really at all concerned with the fact that he doesn't remember anything before this moment. At one point, he says something beautiful. He said, I was born in the sunlight already running. Yeah, that's really neat. I like that. So we had originally started out the episode with Cecil talking about how Carlos and his new team of scientists are trying to study the desert otherworld. First and foremost, they've got to make like a stable portal because right now the differences in time between the two worlds makes it kind of like, I don't know, turbulence in a way, trying to get from one to the other. But then Carlos also has to do all the things that the dean of a school has to do. So Cecil is very worried that Carlos's beautiful hair is going to go gray. Yes, but he said that, oh, of course, we all age eventually, and a relationship needs to be built on stronger foundation than just physical attraction, so it's fine. Also, I really love that hair. (laughs) But also, while Carlos is talking about he and his team studying the desert otherworld, Carlos and Cecil are trying to feed Esteban and convince him to at least try the chicken. So Carlos will just be talking on about all the different elements that they've got to study, and then he'll suddenly go with, please, you love chicken. You know you love chicken. (laughs) Which is adorable. Really cute. Yes. So we had a word from our sponsor, and our sponsor today is spoons. They're necessary for soup. Well, I guess you could drink them out of the bowl. They're necessary for yogurt. It's not like you'd put them in a little packet or something. No, I guess they did that too. So, But uh, still, spoons are the backbone of our true society. Yes, spoons, like a fork, but for wet. <laughs> That's kind of a t-shirt moment there. I it think. is, yes. Yeah, yeah. We had traffic, and the roads look good. They look really good. They were designed incredibly well. All these different elements, wow, they look fantastic. Fantastic. That's probably why there's a lot of cars on them. So stop in the traffic today. <laughs> so we go back to the boy, and Cecil and Carlos have asked the boy to come back to their house so they can give him some food and some water. He, I think he drank like three gallons of water in a row, which mm-hmm. is really mm-hmm. weird. But the boy was super enthusiastic about food. He doesn't actually remember having food before, but yeah, he figures he really likes it. Yeah, and... Cecil says he looks really healthy, like his teeth are really good. He just looks well cared for. So he had to have had a guardian at some point. So they've got to kind of figure that out. But before they can do that, we go into a segment that Cecil is calling radio theater. It's a concept that Cecil has invented himself because he has always wanted to be involved in the theater, but with radio. So he decides he wants to do a performance of, let me see, The Diamonds of Esmeralda. And it's the first installment of a serial, but he couldn't find anyone else who thinks it's a neat idea. So he's going to do all the parts. And then you hear Cecil reading monotone, rapid fire from a script. No inflection whatsoever, just reading as fast as he possibly can. And then he finishes up and says, wow, that was great. I feel like I was in the zone. (laughs) I like how he was describing what he wanted to do. And he's like, imagine saying things into the mic that aren't true. I'm like... 
Oh, this episode's getting pretty meta, isn't it? It's Very good. meta, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a section called Corrections, and Cecil explains that in a recent episode, he got mad and said that there's no possible way that trees can grow from seeds. And he a lot, had a lot to say about that, and he eventually kicked over a speaker and broke it on his way out, stormed out of the office, and didn't come back for several days. No. And then the reason why we're doing this segment now is because Carlos took him to a nursery to show him the different stages of tree growth. And Cecil's like, so I may have been a little off base on this one. But, you know, no hard feelings. I mean, sure, somebody broke some company property and somebody didn't show up for work, but we're not going to get anywhere by pointing out who did what. Yeah, he's a very non-apology apology on that one. (laughs) So back to the boy, uh, Tamika Flynn specifically is concerned because, you know, there's a boy and he doesn't know where he is or who he is and something needs to be done. And she said, we got to make a plan. And Cecil wants to write a play. (laughs) Tamika says, okay, no bad ideas. But Cecil said she said it in a way to imply that it was a bad idea, which it isn't. It's artistic. (laughs) And Carlos suggested a DNA test because maybe some of uh, the people who are related to him actually signed up for one of those, I don't know, scientific sites where they test your DNA and find out what astrological sign you are. I would actually like that. I I remember hearing a little while ago that because of the shifting in the stars, we're no longer Capricorn, we're Sagittarius, and I don't feel like I know who I am anymore. So it would be great if we had a DNA test to take care of that. Mm -hmm. So Tamika responds to that with better, but she's like, why don't we take him to a child therapist who can talk to him and figure something out? Cecil's like, okay, no bad ideas. But Carlos agreed enthusiastically. That kind of cut the wind from his sails on that one. Yeah, Carlos actually has a child therapist on staff, because of course he does. So they're going to go take the boy to talk to her. But before that, the weather. It was Runner Up by Al Olander. I have written down indie rock, folksy, and bluesy. Yes, and it was definitely somebody who is singing to someone who they like, but who is not technically interested in them. And I don't know if it's, was it implying that they're kind of like a friends with benefits sort of thing going on because they can't hope for anything better? Kind of a little bit. It's so funny because I feel like you always listen to the words more than I do. I'm usually just like concentrating on how do I describe how this song sounds? (laughs) Yes, but I think I need to listen to it again because I do think the words were interesting. Nice. Okay, back to the boy. They took them to the therapist. She just basically let the boy talk. And, you know, when he said he didn't remember anything, she didn't say anything. And then he basically starts talking about the things that he actually does remember. Yeah, and about a darkness and a warmth that wasn't comforting. And he remembers three words to do harm. And it just gets progressively more and more ominous as he keeps talking. Yeah, he says he knows the true name of God. He knows pi to 80 digits. Something like sadness that warms the heart and darkness darker than dark. And he remembered his mother. And the therapist says tell me about your mother. And he says, no, I will not be talking about her. So, I mean, really like like demon voice going on there. Yeah, apparently it included the sound of broken glass and thunderclouds. So really super creepy. So the therapist says afterwards that... 
he's got a lot of pain, but he doesn't really know how to put it into words or really how to feel about it. He's going to need a safe place to stay for a while, which Cecil's like, well, he can stay with us. But Tamika wants the boy to stay with her because she kind of feels like he's a kindred spirit. Yeah. We kind of forget, I mean, Tamika Flynn, leader of the militia, member of the city council and everything, but I mean, she and the other kids in the summer reading program went through a really traumatic experience. So she thinks that, you know, they share this idea of having gone through a trauma and needing time to process it. So the boy goes off with her. Yeah, because obviously she wouldn't have any trouble passing a background check. She's on the city council. Right. Yes. Everything's (laughs) So that was it for the episode. A lot of ads on this episode. We've been listening on YouTube lately. Just it's a convenient place to go. But I mean, I mean, there's an ad that starts out the episode, and less than five minutes in, there's another ad. And you were getting two ads every time. Yeah, I think YouTube has started doing that to me on a regular basis. Maybe I'm watching too much YouTube, and they're just like trying to cram in as much ad revenue as they possibly can. Uh, maybe. Anyway, it's worth it though. I mean, it's a free podcast. That's true. This is true. Okay, so jumping in to the episode of Good Omens. So this starts out with Aziraphale is trying to get his, it's the meeting of the business association that's going to be at his store. And yeah, he the, um, and the, the Whitaker's Shopkeeper Association is going to be having their go. monthly meeting, which he's not having a lot of luck getting people interested because it's a a neighborhood association meeting. I mean, somebody complained about the fact that they went 10 years ago and all they did was talk about Christmas lights. Yeah, which definitely describes pretty much any neighborhood association that you're going to go to. Uh Oh, God, are we talking about this again? So... Aziraphale gets a little more proactive about it. Like, he talks to a guy at the music store and promises him this really rare copy of a Doctor Who serial, was it A Doctor Who annual, I think, which, Uh, like, 1965, which the person said they didn't actually have one in 1965. The first one is 1966. But Aziraphale says, yes, they weren't able to release it. I have the only copy. And uh, he even offers to give it to the guy, which... Crowley, who is watching all this go down, is just like, did you just give away a book? Because I don't think Aziraphale even sells books. I think he just likes having them. Yeah. I've actually known people before. This like this store that Jada had gone to. She had some old uh, baseball cards from her father, and she wanted to get rid of them and see if they were worth anything. And the guy eventually didn't say much. But there are people who have gone into that store who are like, I don't know if he actually buys or sells anything. I think this is just a place for him to keep all of his collections so it's not at home. And yeah. I'm like, hey, if you can afford it, go for it. Yeah, might as well. But yeah, mm-hmm. so he like does that to at least a couple of people. And I love the fact that not only can he stare into people's souls and find exactly what book would make them want to do anything in order to have it, but he already has a copy. No matter what the yes. book is, he's got a copy. Yep, yep, yep. Also, he can speak several languages. He talked to one woman in, I believe, Mandarin and did that flawlessly. But he also talked to one woman at a restaurant in really bad French. And I didn't quite understand what was going on with that one, why he talked to her so... I mean, he knows every single language ever. Why was his French so bad? I don't know. Crowley was baffled about that as well. He says, you speak every language, so do I. What is with the French? And Aziraphale fired off some comment about who he studied French with, and I guess it wasn't a good experience or whatever, and then he just, like, wanders away, and you're like, but you didn't 
actually answer the question. And I mean, especially since the woman that he was talking to kept telling him, I speak English. I've been here for years. Yeah, yeah. Now, while all this is going on, we also have the one demon woman who's been after them for a while, and she had requisitioned a legions of demon and the guy she's talking to really gave her about 75 yeah, I think something so, like that yeah so she's arranged this big meeting between all of them and she's trying to be all dramatic with her shirt with the spikes on it and everything and you've got this one demon who keeps interrupting her though everything he says is true of course yeah I mean especially the fact that there's some large transport that they would use to take everybody up but it's broken, so they would either have to use the small one or take the stairs. And then she obliterates them. I mean, she's just had enough. And then she takes a deep breath and says, we will take the stairs. Which I kind of wish we had seen that, because it seems like taking the stairs from hell would have been quite the visual. That would have been very cool. But yeah, everybody sort of appears in these like little elevator sort of things. But uh, yeah, so... Let's see, we get Aziraphale is rearranging the shop. Um, Crowley had talked to Jim at one point, because he's just, I don't know, well, it doesn't help that Nina had talked to Crowley and was asking how long that he and Aziraphale had been together, and Crowley is just like, what? We're not together. No, wait. And Nina is like, oh, I guess everybody else's love life seems more straightforward than your own. Now, I did notice in this episode, Uh I don't know, yeah, that really is her partner she's been talking to. You had I a theory know. last week. I guess not. I was so proud of myself that maybe I had figured that out. But she does specifically say my partner has left. And she she talks with Maggie later on and says she didn't think that her partner had even liked her very much. And said, well, I am a lot of hard work. And I think Maggie just kind of says, I'm not afraid of hard work. So it's, it's really we obviously know where Maggie stands. I just don't know about Nina, but she did get a note from her partner. And this time it appeared as like a chalk drawing on her little menu board about how I've left a key by the front door. Don't try to get in touch with me. I'm staying with my sister. At least she cares what happens to me. So I don't know. Sounds pretty toxic. It is. It's funny how there is definitely still something that we don't know about this relationship because I've noticed that she hesitates before saying partner, and I wasn't sure if that was kind of like... There are some people who really, really do not want to admit that they're in a gay relationship because they're worried that people will come after them, you know? And I wondered if that's what it was or if there's something else going on. Yeah, but that definitely put Crowley in a bad mood. So he he goes to talk to Gabriel at Aziraphale's suggestion. And I had always sensed that he was terrified of Gabriel because, I mean, he, yeah. he tells Aziraphale, he could smote me. Yeah. But he's talking to Gabriel, and he says, I remember you when you wanted to kill Aziraphale, and Gabriel doesn't remember that. And Crowley says, oh, that's all right. He doesn't remember it either, because he wasn't there, but I was. And I remember you telling my only friend to shut my stupid mouth and die already. And that's... So... This whole time, he's been scared, but he also took that really personally. I think he's madder about them trying to kill Aziraphale than Aziraphale is. Yeah, and he also points out that just by being there, Jim is putting Aziraphale's life in danger, and... Jim has been trying really hard to, like, he's not making excuses. He honestly doesn't remember any of this, but he does feel responsible. And so he asks, is there anything I can do about this? And Crowley says, yeah, you could jump out that window. And Jim's like... Okay, and so he walks towards the window and starts climbing out, and Crowley's looking at him just in horror, thinking he's actually going to do this. And at the very last minute, Crowley shouts at him to stop. But yeah, yeah he it convinces him that 
if that's Gabriel, he really honestly does not remember. Yeah. And I think Crowley even feels bad about how he's been browbeating him because he goes to leave and then he turns around and stares at him and says, do you want a hot chocolate? And Gabriel kind of perks up and nods a little bit. And then Crowley goes and gets him a hot chocolate. So how can anybody think that Crowley is awful? Because there's many repeats of this particular statement where people say that Crowley is very nice. You're very nice. And he tells him, no, I'm not. <laughs> so he doesn't yeah. want to admit it. So let's see. I think from that point, we go on to the party is just about ready to start. Aziraphale is asking Crowley to go remind people. He goes to remind Nina and she tells him, absolutely not. I just broke up with my partner. I am not interested in talking about the Christmas lights. I'm going to go home and just drink myself into oblivion. But that's the point where Crowley realizes something's really wrong. Yeah. And he's staring around. And it's effective creepy because he can Mm. sense that something is happening and he kind of like terrifies Nina into just going into uh, the bookstore because she'll be safe there because he's still I think Aziraphale tells somebody that it's technically what is it? An ambassadorship or Uh, an embassy? An embassy yes, his bookshop is still technically an embassy, which I don't know how well that actually applies because he's not with heaven anymore technically he's considered a traitor. Yeah, yeah So Nina goes rushing inside, and in there, it is, it's actually, I mean, it's silly, but it's really kind of delightful, because Aziraphale has sort of messed with everybody's heads, and he has actually made, like, a Jane Austen ball. With dancing. I mean, everybody who steps in the door, suddenly they're dressed much more flamboyantly than they were when they were outside, and they're just all talking in Jane Austen sort of dialogue. One woman who's obviously runs, I guess, a brothel or something nearby is trying to tell somebody what she does for a living, but the only word she can come up with is seamstress. And that's really funny. She's like, no, I'm not a seamstress. What I meant to say is I'm a seamstress. (laughs) (laughs) It's really cute because she kind of tries to describe to the woman what she actually does, but it comes out like, and they can come in there, a gentleman in need of a wife, and come to my store and choose the ladies who can make them a shirt or <laughs> mend their socks or maybe sew on a button, but not every one of the ladies does that. Because that's extra. extra. <laughs> <laughs> it's really cute. Um, and Maggie and Nina start talking and Nina is more aware of anybody that something is really off, but she still can't seem to do anything. But Maggie invites her to dance. And so she does. And they join in the dance. And the whole time she's telling Maggie, did you ever learn the step? of this dance and Maggie's like no it's just what we do but it's still really cute because of course that's when she and Maggie are talking about Nina's partner leaving her and Maggie being worried that it was her fault and everything and I I just I really hope that these two end up together by the end of next episode because they're just adorable and I think it's going to be so so much healthier from Nina than what her current relationship is I need to know a little bit more about that current relationship there's still something we don't know yeah there is yeah they've left something out here so it was actually when Maggie was walking towards the shop before she went in that Crowley saw that there are actual literal demons stomping down the street and he gets in between her and them and starts demanding answers and rips off their face masks to reveal like I don't know like jaws they're falling apart and everything and uh, he he knows what's going on now so he runs into the store and that's when he sees what Aziraphale has done and of course he's just disgusted he's like 
what is this? And um, Seraphel isn't listening to his warnings, but he does invite Crowley to dance so they can talk about it. And that's also very cute because Crowley automatically knows how to do the dance anyway, because why wouldn't he? But eventually Aziraphale can't ignore things anymore because somebody throws a sign through the window saying, surrender the angel. But their spelling is bad. So the sign just says, surrender the angle. (laughs) (laughs) So that's when, of course, the demon woman who has been after them this whole time demands they send out Gabriel or they're going to start killing people. And she does point out that, I don't know, uh, Aziraphale is an outcast and not really able to protect the people like he thought he was going to be able to. And Jim... Gabriel comes forward and says, this is all about me, isn't it? You don't have to protect me. I'm going to go outside. And he does. And as he steps outside, he's got this flamboyant robe on with feather trim and everything. He just looks epic. But he can't convince the demons that he's Gabriel because of the miracle that Crowley and Aziraphale did. And the demon actually gets mad and tells him to go back inside. So he does. And obviously that's not helping. So does that mean at that moment, did he have his memory back? It didn't seem like he had his memory back, but how did he get the coat? I don't so know. Something that I, I really don't Zierfeld know. did that. I don't know. It was really weird. So Crowley manages to convince the demon that they've got to let all of the humans out because, and he like quotes this whole list of the infernal laws down to the subparagraph about what's required for getting human non-combatants out of the way. And I wrote down here, it's count on Crowley to know the rules right down to the subsection. So she agrees to it and he goes in to sort things out and he tells Aziraphale, okay, I just made up a rule that they were too stupid to check on. And I just wrote, "Ah, he was making up the rule because of course he was. Of course he was. But one of the people in the store, this one kind of, I don't know, he's got a clipboard. He was one of the members of the business communities, just very pedantic, I suppose. And he's going to go out there and do something. And so he gets the attention of the woman calling her madam or whatever. And he starts just spouting all of this that she can't do this. And he takes out his phone. I'm going to call emergency. And the demon says something like, Aziraphale, what is the limit of the embassy? And he said, it's the front stoop. And one of the demons grabs the guy, yanks him out. We don't really see what happens to the guy, but we can assume it's not good. It's probably not good, no. But um, Crowley is able to get all of the humans together two by two so he can lead them out past all the demons so they can run to safety. But Nina and Maggie stay behind. Well, Maggie insists that she wants to stay behind because she's not going to leave Aziraphale to possibly die. And Nina stays with Maggie. So obviously, Aziraphale's plan might be working. We can really hope. Yeah. I love how when they were leaving, Crowley's in the front of the line, and he has, I think, Madam Sandwich, I think is her name. I think that's... She's the owner of the brothel. That does seem to be what everyone was calling her. Yeah. And I think he says something like, do you have your handbag? She's like, I've got more than that, love. He's like, oh, I bet you do. And it's so charming. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Crowley could just literally charm the pants off you, but then he leads them on out. Yeah. And then he sees the angel who had been the police officer and he tries to get her to arrest him, which she doesn't know how to do because she's not actually a police officer and she's terrible at her job, but he convinces her he knows there's a crime that's being committed against heaven and he needs her to arrest him and take him up to heaven so he can deal with it. And so she calls down a elevator and 
he goes in and she's standing outside. She said, you're not trying to trick me, are you? And he said, you arrested me. Why would I try to trick you? She's like, okay. So yeah, she's very sweet. But we did see, um, we did see a little bit in heaven earlier on. And there's something about a matchbox that I think she had found in heaven. It was like an actual artifact that shouldn't be there and yet somehow is. And that's still like up on display up in heaven somewhere. And I think Jim had said when he first showed up at Aziraphale's bookshop that he had taken all of his memories out of the matchbox and put it inside a box, which I guess is what he had been carrying. And Crowley had asked, well, where are your memories now? And he said, they're everywhere. So I don't Mm -hmm. know if that means they've dispersed around the earth or has he hidden them all through the shop? I don't know. Because the matchbox is also from the Resurrectionist, which yes. was the bar that Aziraphale had gone to, where apparently he had seen Gabriel and Masons, I suppose. I so don't know. There's that puzzle. such very complicated stuff going on. But I don't mm. think I noticed anything new in the opening credits this time. Although I did notice the dancing girls at one point from last episode and that whole bit with the Nazi plane dropping a bomb right near everybody. I'm sure that was a reference to last episode as well, but that's been there since it started. Yeah, definitely. I I can't tell if I'm just noticing things and as the story reveals them, they become more obvious or if there are things actually coming in. I don't know. I'd have to watch them all back to back. Yeah, same here. So we did also in that conversation when she was talking, Muriel, that's the name of the terrible police constable, she was talking to her bosses and she was saying something about, oh, yeah, it was just Aziraphale and Crowley up there and the assistant. Well, he doesn't have assistant. No, he doesn't. You don't remember assistant, do you? Was there a man there who liked books? No, that's Aziraphale. Oh, yeah. So not only do they not recognize Jim as Gabriel, but they really don't quite remember him when he's not there. Right, yes. So that miracle's working very well. And I do have to wonder... Is it possible for Crowley and Aziraphale to stop a miracle? Because right now it seems to be causing more problems than they thought they were solving. Yeah. I don't know. And the episode ends with the demon who's been after Aziraphale and Crowley this whole time watching as the doors shut with Crowley inside going up to heaven. And that's where we leave it. Mm -hmm. So one more episode left. Well, in addition to watching Good Omens this week, I also watched episode seven of the latest season of The Mandalorian. And things be really kicking off. I mean, we're getting some actual peril. Not everybody makes it out of this episode. Um, All sorts of bad agents from previous storylines coming along. But it's just, I love all the little touches. Like at one point, um, somebody nefarious goes to a alleyway on Coruscant. And I love the techno music that was playing in the background and all the ne- oh, nice. neon and everything. But they come around a corner and something appears, and it's a probe droid, like what you saw in um, Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, and it's yeah. just like that season one episode with the um, the ATST, the little two-legged thing like there. They somehow managed to make it so much more real and imposing when it's right up close than I ever remember it being in the original one. I'm just looking at oh, going, nice. oh, this is so cool. And it's like not even there for you know more than a couple of minutes. And still, I thought, oh, that's really memorable. But yeah, there's all sorts of, like the aesthetics on this show are always great. We had a 
freaking Mandalorian pirate ship at one point, and it's amazing. Oh, I, I totally need to get caught up on this. I really do. Because what did I watch this week? I started watching Arcane again. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Very cool. Yes, yeah, so you need to catch up with me. I've probably seen it like three times at least now. Gracious. It's so pretty. It uh, is really pretty. Just so hand-painted, I think, yeah. is the thing that occurs to me. And the fact that there are no shortcuts in the animation ever. I nope. mean, even somebody talking or, or sitting there and watching something happening, and they're constantly like moving and tilting their head a little bit or making expressions. It's just just perfect. I mean, it's really I gorgeous. I do so hope that the next season lives up to this, story-wise and animation-wise and music-wise. I mean, the music yes. is fantastic. Man, I heard somebody complain the other day. I don't remember what it was. It was some, I don't know, stupid Twitter X conversation, whatever. And they said something about, oh, yeah, any reference Imagine Dragons, which is the worst band in the world. I'm like, hey, hey, well, what the hell? Do people not like Imagine Dragons? They're amazing. They, I have always loved the songs for Imagine Dragons, and nobody can be the worst band in the world when freaking Nickelback is still a thing. <laughs> which is so funny because I like Nickelback too. So I, I, was like, I is this? do like some of their songs. Yes, I mean, I think this is how you know that someone is a great big success when there are so many people willing to jump up and talk about how much they absolutely hate them. They're a terrible band, and they are still freaking filling out arenas. Yes! Yes! Ugh. Anyway, yes. Imagine Dragons. Amazing. And also every other song. That song in episode six, where she's holding up the torch and everything, oh, and they play God. the song at that moment, and then they play it in the end credits, too, and it gets me every time. Every so time! Good. But I guess that'll wrap us up for the week, so make sure to check out PixelatedGeek.com for all the book reviews, the movie reviews, the comic book reviews, the photo gallery, Saga comes back this week. Oh God! I'm just I'm I'm waiting for the fallout of the last issue. Good Lord! I mean, if we thought the Will was an awful, awful person, it's going to get so bad now because the one person that loved him unconditionally because he did something so selfless to help her, and she's gone. And she did. Yeah. So look out for the review of that one this week. All that and more. Pixladygeek.com. So next week, still no Laura Olympus. Uh, we won't have Night Vale. So I guess we got to watch the final episode of Good Omens. And I will probably watch the final episode of The Mandalorian. And I will try to watch something that isn't like a three-year-old cartoon. <laughs> we can only try. But one way or the other, we will talk to everybody in one week. Talk to y'all later.
We had a freaking Mandalorian pirate shit. Sorry, let me Ooh. try that again. We had a 